Hi, really good friends. Before we get into this week's episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wake. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hey, really good friends. Just wanted to let you know that Rachel and I will be doing a small little giveaway on our Instagram really soon. So if you want to be a part of that and you want to learn more about the details and rules and how to win some pretty cool prizes, make sure to follow our Instagram at Historically Really. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello. And welcome. To Historically Really Good Friends. A queer history podcast. I am Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. Howdy. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going? It's good. I'm feeling snazzy today. I threw in an I am rather than an I'm. I almost um, got thrown off a little bit by it. I was like, Mm. do I do I am or do I do I'm? I got like imposter syndrome a little bit in the process. I'm sorry for that moment of chaos that I've caused you. I just really wanted to switch it up. Oh my goodness. Do you want to tell our listeners about your star struck experience that you've had recently oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i saw someone that i admire very greatly and i will not say where for this person's privacy don't don't say where and your own privacy and for my own (laughs) right yeah (laughs) true like don't say where (laughs) but but i saw the one and only incomparable georgia hardstark of my favorite murder and I was driving my my silly little car and I got to a stop sign and I was going to turn left. So I looked to my left to make the turn to see if I can as make the do. turn as, as I hope you would. You wouldn't just go blindly into it. And mm-hmm. there getting into her own car was Georgia Hardstark. Or I'm like 99% sure it was. It very <laughs> much could someone not who be. Looks... Or, or her doppelganger. Or her maybe. doppelganger. And... I looked at her and then it didn't register. So I looked away like I was about to then continue driving my car. And then I looked back at her, did a double take. And she looked at me and I just stared at her like a weird man. <laughs> and she she was like getting into her car and kind of gave me like a confused look. <laughs> and instead of me, my window was down. So I literally could have been like, hi, are you Georgia Hartstark? I'm love with you. Weird eye contact. Yeah. I just made eye contact with weird eye contact with her and then drove away without saying a thing. <laughs> so it almost was worse because then like, I just looked at her 
in a weird way and then just drove right. off. Like I, there was no acknowledging. No, there was wasn't happening. like a, Hey, I love you. It was more of like an intense, I'm going to kill you stare, which it was a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sorry, Georgia. I know you're never going to hear this, but I love you. And it was amazing seeing you, but that it also, harmless. it proves to me that if I ever see someone like mm-hmm. an actor and an actress, that I really, really adore, like I do Georgia, yeah. I will never have the ability to to go up to them and say hi or like ask for a photo because my yeah. embarrassment levels mm-hmm. are too great and too sensitive that even the slightest yeah. thing throws it off. Yeah, I get that. That's what I was going to say of, I feel like celebrity encounters are so uncomfortable and I've never had like a just random bump into someone like I the one celebrity I've met is Kevin Bacon name dropping everyone but oh I was God. working at a job so, so like he had to kind of like I had to interact with him and he had to interact with me yeah so it wasn't like a I just stumbled upon someone in the street and I don't know what I would do like I, I like what do you because one you don't want to be rude and right. like there's only select times when it's really available and like fair to ask a person to like say hi or take a picture with you or right. like sign something. But then also that's so that you're right. It's so embarrassing. Right, because like, I also that's so embarrassing. Well, my number one fear was I go, "Hi, are you in this case Georgia Harstark?" and she goes, "No." And but then, then why I'm would like, that what be embarrassing? I... It's be- just a person. You're because... like, cool, you look like a really sick celebrity. Because then I, I'm like, ah, okay. And then I drive away. <laughs> like, what the f- I would, I, yeah. I would rather never talk again. You should have pulled into the intersection so that you, and just waited and had the conversation so you had a quick escape, if not. So you could be like, oops, sorry, not you, and just keep moving. No, I think I would have died of embarrassment in that moment. Like, I would have slumped so, down so, so to clarify mm-hmm. you're telling me it would be worse if you talked to a person who wasn't a celebrity uh-huh. then and you th- and you thought it was rather uh-huh. than just like talk to the celebrity themselves uh-huh my that's what you're saying fe- my fear of rejection is so much greater than and but it's not reje- they're not rejecting you personally they're just saying no to your question Right, that's too you know much what I for mean? me. They're not saying, I, I know exactly who you are, Jared Femblow, and I hate you. You're so embarrassing. Because, like, like there's – listen, I get it. Because it's like when someone <laughs> waves to a person behind you and you say <laughs> yes. hello. Like, yes. like that's the, that's like uh, that's making me sweat right uh-huh. now just thinking about it. Like, and uh-huh. I've done that so many times. But, like, uh-huh. whatever. Being embarrassed is my greatest fear, <laughs> I think. Like, I okay. truly would rather die than be embarrassed ever. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a strong that's a strong take <laughs> on embarrassment. Uh-huh. And I so, get it though. Okay, to move away from me being embarrassed about things because sure, now this is going to sure. go onto the internet and I'm going to be embarrassed <laughs> about being embarrassed and then I'm never going to want to do this podcast yeah. again. Okay, let's do some stories, shall we? And because I can't keep talking about being embarrassed. Yeah, let's. I'm going first, I think. Yeah, let's just jump in. <gasps> let's just go. Let's just do it. What was that gasp I- for? We're both talking about like kids entertain kids. I don't want to say kids things, but like kids entertainment today. Uh, kind of. Sort of. Are we not? Kind- I guess I'll find out. Yeah, kind of. Kind of okay, not really. I am. Okay, great. I am. So today I'm going to be talking about children's literature and specifically some of like its queer coded roots. Mm. And I'm very excited about it. And it was very lovely to be able to have a break and just like reminisce a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm so, I'm excited because I was a big I was an avid reader when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I like whenever like reading in the car, reading at home, like I was yeah. always reading books. So I'm excited to find out if anything that I read. Mm. I'm 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 interested if anything that I read is is queer coded that I didn't realize yeah. at the time. I'm willing to guess it is because there were definitely things I read on here. And also, though, I will have to say it was probably more shockingly books that your parents may have read to you or Ooh. family members may have bought for you because it's like very, very young children's books. Interesting. Okay. So the sources that I used include The Gay History of America's Classic Children's Books by Jesse Green for the New York Times. Remembering Tommy DePaula, the gay children's book author who painted Catholic tales. All of your favorite children's books are gay by Sarah Prager or Prager. We still have yet to get it right, Sarah. Yeah. Hey, Sarah. A writer for Tag Magazine. An article in The Guardian by Alana Massad titled Queer Children's Books Have a Long History That's Only Now Being Told. And finally... Ursula Nordstrom and the Queer History of the Children's Book by Kelly Blewett. Okay. So I'm especially excited for this week because collectively, especially folks maybe living in America, I think we can agree we needed something a little lighter. I know Mm -hmm. I did. And because it just feels like things are bad. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about children's characters, just like building huts and living in the forest. And also like Streganana makes an appearance. I was literally just thinking about her. Yeah. was like like, literally just thinking about Streganana. Wow. Streganana cures all ailments. Mm -hmm. And she really Mm -hmm. does. She really is magic with her little magic pastas. So lately... I think kind of in the news, on Twitter we may have seen it, and definitely on this podcast we've discussed queer coding, which is kind of described as deliberately disguising the overt and explicit queerness of something with subtle hints and clues that are recognizable to specific audiences. And on top of that kind of theme in general, we've also talked specifically about children's characters So I'm going to expand on both of those topics a little bit, but definitely if you're interested more and haven't heard them, listen to our episodes about Bert and Ernie and also The Hayes Code. Those are the episodes that we talk specifically about those themes and just like might help to contextualize some of this Mm -hmm. more. And there's a lot of similarities. So Jared, question for you. Mm -hmm. If I were to tell you about two friends, mm-hmm. both male, who mm-hmm. share a home and their whole lives together and go on little tandem bicycle rides, what would you would you assume anything about those those men? Yeah, I would assume they're lovers. You know what? I would too, and I think it's safe to assume that. Or like at least really good friends. Like there's some benefits happening. Really good Historically friends. really good Can friends. Can I ask you, do they do other things together? They do other things together. Like they have their whole lives kind of together. They go on little adventures. Mm-hmm. They have days out on the town. Mm-hmm. They frolic. Mm-hmm. See, that's that specifically. Queer. Frolicking, queer. 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 <laughs> yeah, queer. <laughs> so many people who read the series Frog and Toad may not have made the same connection that feels so obvious to assume. Mm -hmm. Maybe because they weren't looking for this relationship among the two friends, but it was definitely there. 
So the author of that series, Arnold Lobel, told stories about love, long-term relationships, acceptance, humor, and getting each other out of jams with his series, Frog and Toad. Mm -hmm. And these books, from the time they were written more than 50 years ago, were hits, and they still are. To this day, they sell over 500,000 copies a year. Wow. And I couldn't get any data as to how many of those were coming specifically from scholastic book fairs, but (laughs) they're still selling a lot of books. Uh And many people amongst like a lot of issues in this being a hot topic right now, Mm -hmm. still are not picking up on some of these themes throughout the book. And we see kind of the same themes that we saw in the relationship between Bert and Ernie with like sort of opposing personalities, Mm -hmm. opposing like style of dress and like drawing especially and it's sort of about their relationship and compromising and learning how to work through those differences and how they complement one another so it really does tell a story about living with a partner and like working through problems in the Mm -hmm. same way Bert and Ernie felt like a very satisfying just like healthy relationship Mm -hmm. I was gonna say with Bert and Ernie too the thing was people that were looking for it or people that were in the know about such relationships were able to see it and people that aren't in the know just are missing it entirely so it's like if you can pick up on these i guess subtleties when they're not even really subtleties it's like very Mm -hmm. clear to see that this could be construed as a same-sex relationship right right And so what other people didn't realize and may have given some context to it is that the author, Arnold Lobel, was a gay man himself. I didn't know that. Yeah, this wasn't public knowledge. In fact, he only came out to his wife and children in 1974. Wow. And though after that, too, his wife, who helped illustrate and write the series for him, continued to do so. So they still were like lifelong, like creative partners. Yeah. Similarly, many authors used their personal queer lives and incorporated them rather slyly into their children's books so that they could still write about their experiences without people identifying them or Mm -hmm. like censoring their stories. And what they were able to produce was authentic accounts of life as a person in a queer relationship or with an otherwise queer identity. They were also really cute. Like these stories that I'll list in a minute are like ones I remember from my childhood and ones that I like had my mom save for like future kids or people in our family. And they also were just like what a kid's book is supposed to be. They like talk about difficult life lessons. They help kids overcome things. Jesse Green says in the New York Times article, quote, the authors of many of the most successful and influential works of children's literature in the middle years of the last century Works that were formative for baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and beyond were gay, unquote. And so this is a lot that many of these authors may not have been publicly out in the times that they were alive. And we talk about some of the reasons why later, but definitely found a way to put some of that into their writing. So some other children's books, along with many of their authors that are decidedly queer, include Harriet the Spy, George and Martha, Goodnight Moon, In the Night Kitchen, Miss Nelson, Streganana, Where the Wild Things Are, and The (gasps) Runaway Bunny. 
Okay, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So many classics, like so many that I can vividly remember being in my like Mm -hmm. second grade classroom, third grade classroom, like the books that we would, do you remember Deer? Did you have Deer drop everything and read? Oh, I did. Oh my gosh, I did. So, So we would have, for those who don't know, we would have deer time. So it would be like in the middle of the day and they would say, okay, 20 minutes deer, which would be drop everything and read and you would go and you would Mm -hmm. pick out a book and you would just sit somewhere in the classroom and you would read and those are all Mm -hmm. types of books that in like second and third grade when you're learning to read or you you know you're able to read on your own at that point those were the books that I would gravitate towards that's so funny yeah and it and so a lot of them you know may be more explicit we'll say like Mm -hmm. frog and toad where like you can if you know that the subtext is there you can see it more clearly whereas others are written by queer authors and they more kind of focus on ambiguous or abstract like emotions that they may have felt Mm -hmm. growing up or just general themes of acceptance and love and like caring for each other and ourselves so while the characters in the stories might not all be representing queer relationships a lot of them are about like Mm self-compassion so the book harriet the spy in particular says things like having a husband and babies sound boring and (laughs) Harriet doesn't have time for that nonsense. Totally. And this idea, this was in a book in 1964. Well, I mean, that feels right for me. It feels like a lot of liberation movements are happening at the time. So it feels like, yeah, that's feminism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. It does feel right. It's amazing how nothing has changed. Um, Moving (laughs) right along. And I know this, or I think this is one of your favorites as well, but the Where the Wild Things Are author, right? That's what you like that book? Yeah, I love that book. So the author Maurice Sendak was also a gay man who was not publicly out despite living with his partner of over 50 years. Hmm. He felt that he was able to express the joys and troubles of relationships without being attacked by conservative evangelicals who were concerned about the gay agenda, quote Mm -hmm, unquote, mm -hmm. disrupting children's lives, which again, seems oddly familiar. Mm -hmm. Ironically, though, he was able to create one of the most famous children's book series, which I think is what sticks with me in all of these things, that these books lasted and spanned across generations and many of them may have been read by the same people who Mm -hmm. are like like grooming and it's being shoved down our throats and all of these things we kind of i kind of get into that a little bit more later but all of the queer content was not forthright despite helping many children and families feel valid so that's to say it's not so much like the books that we're seeing now with like a more intentional lens of and like explicitly saying this family represents mm-hmm. like a more modern diverse family where there's like two moms. Mm-hmm. Instead though it was more about people feeling valid and accepted in their bodies and their families. Right. It also wasn't until 1979 when the author of Streganana, Tommy DePaola, published Oliver Burton is a Sissy, which was the first children's book to somewhat acknowledge and tackle homosexuality. Tommy wrote the book based on his experiences as a child, often being bullied for his sexuality or representations and like, like stigma around his sexuality. The author says he wanted to externalize these painful experiences in his work rather than kind of keep them internalized forever. 
He says that this externalization was especially important because, quote, if it became known you were gay, you'd have a big red G on your chest and schools wouldn't buy your books anymore, unquote. Mm. So all those books that you remember having on the shelves during deer time just wouldn't have existed if people were more open, mm. even about the author's lives, like even if their book had nothing to do with it, just right. the author themselves right. being queer in some way was unacceptable. Right, which is funny too because – these books not only are they acclaimed in the u.s but like worldwide bestsellers so Mm -hmm. they're probably reaching families and countries and places that don't want anything to do with queer people so it's not even just that we're getting this content in our schools it's like this content Mm -hmm. is everywhere yeah it's permeating everywhere and For a lot of that, we have editor Ursula Nordstrom to thank Mm. because she was instrumental in creating the space for and also easing the fears of the many queer authors who wrote a lot of these famous stories. Nordstrom herself was a queer woman who felt that even adults should be able to find entertainment in children's stories because the stories themselves are meant to be truthful and authentic and tell relatable and interesting stories. All of these stories send a message to every reader that authentically being yourself, no matter what that means for you, is the key to your happiness and success. There will always be the hard stuff represented in the books, but having a really good friend and a strong sense of self-acceptance can make the hard stuff a lot easier, like riding a bike through the forest and also you're a toad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... While I do, I did really enjoy this topic and I think it was fun and lighthearted and like I said, allowed me to reminisce about Striganana and all those other books, there is still an important message at the heart of all this, which is that queerness, sexuality, and gender identity are not inherently sexual. Children do not need to understand the logistics of sexual intercourse to see healthy and loving same-sex relationships, some of which may or may not help them to understand their own identities or families. These books are cute, and you know they are, whether this information changes your opinion or not, and they tell heartwarming adventure stories and offer cottagecore dreamscapes that I could only hope to be able to afford sometime in life. And all of this is without needing to explicitly say that a character is gay or straight, trans or cis. Children and parents alike find comfort in these stories. Mm -hmm. Maybe because they helped normalize the feelings they were having about a close friend, or maybe because they told stories about healthy relationships and communication and loving someone. Nonetheless, there is a reason these are classic stories. And I do hate, though, that some of their authors, many of whom were queer themselves, had to leave little Easter eggs of their lives within these stories because they couldn't tell them out loud. But still, their legacy persists and offers people a chance to see their own feelings played out in a story. Alana Massad summarizes my thoughts, I think, really well by saying, quote, Children's books shouldn't always be happy and simply aren't asexual, just as children aren't asexual, which is not to say that children are sexual in the way that adults are, but that sexual orientation and gender identity becomes apparent to many people early in life. Just as a straight child may pretend to marry her dolls to one another or may have a crush on his big sister's friends, a queer child may experience crushes, pair up their dolls differently, or express their gender in a way that is different from the sex they were assigned at birth, unquote. 
Also, there were a lot more books on this list and authors and even just seeing the covers of these books was filling me with a lot of nostalgia. So if you made it to the end of our story, definitely let us know what your favorite like queer allegory or children's book is past or present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like we need some good stuff to fill our brains with. I would love to reread stuff with this new lens. So if you're listening to this, please let us know like what we should check out or if I left anything out from Mm -hmm. here. Totally, totally. Yeah. First off, great story. Thank you. Story, literally. Great stories. (laughs) You did a great story. You had a great story. The thought that I think what struck me the most is that these authors are having to leave little Easter eggs in their work, mm-hmm. which was such a shame. I am so glad that we have these stories, especially by these queer people, and they have mm-hmm. become such classics. Although having stories where frog and toad, yes, they're frogs, mm-hmm. and you can make the same argument that Sesame Street does where, you know, they're just frogs and they don't have sexuality. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, well, these frogs are talking and riding bikes too. So why can't they have a sexuality? So if they did explicitly say that they were queer lovers Mm -hmm. in a queer relationship, just think about how many people that could have helped, that could have been so important to. And I think even though it's not explicitly stated, it is kind of picked up on and I Mm -hmm. kind of picked up on it a little bit when I was a kid I I even was Mm -hmm. like no way they're just brothers no way they're just friends so there is something that is able to be grasped by people Mm -hmm. and children specifically right but when you leave it all up to the imagination there also is that part of you that's like well what if they aren't what if they're not what if what if I'm just thinking about Mm -hmm. things too much what if you know I'm overthinking it's like Mm -hmm. there's a very real possibility that they could be and if only we have these indicators and confirmations it would only be Mm -hmm. that much more special and amazing to have these queer classic books but you know I'll I'll take what I can get with them and I'll continue to pretend things are queer even if they aren't and in my Mm -hmm. mind they will stay queer yes definitely forever that is the biggest stand we will take on the Mm -hmm. show if you come to us and tell us you think characters are queer in some way we'll probably agree with you oh i'll I'll accept it yeah exactly that's the biggest thing why not if it feels that way to you like totally and that's the thing too when i was reading back some of these things i was like yeah obviously and that's the thing too that people who need to see like of course we should and people deserve to be more explicit in their writing about Mm -hmm. what they want to say they should not have to decide if they want to hide something or not but it's there for people who need to see it Mm -hmm. like you're able to see like if you're having those feelings and you can see it displayed in a book it may be easier for you to pick up on it and in that way for 1979 i will take it Mm -hmm. and we will put it in our back pocket and keep moving towards more explicit representations Mm -hmm. or put it on our bookshelf there you go (laughs) put it on your coffee table go wild put it out be proud about it yeah front and center you know what when people walk into my apartment as a 25 year old man that's what i want them to see first frog and toad perfect everywhere perfect yeah i I mean i love it a full collection first edition you have to (laughs) all righty so this week um kind of kind of kind of sticking along the theme of children's entertainment 
in the fact that I'm going to be talking to you about a toy, but okay. also in the fact that it wasn't really meant for children. It was more oh, so made okay. for adults. But before we even get into my subject, one thing I wanted to ask you was what kind of toys yes. did you play with as a child? Oh, what a great question. Um, one thing that I loved as a child and am most definitely in the eBay market for mm-hmm. are Polly Pockets. Oh, did you eat the clothing? Yeah, just not eat it, just <laughs> chew on it a little bit. We were not a we were not a Polly Pocket family, so I never experienced okay. the chewing of okay of shoes and accessories. Yeah, we were a big Polly Pocket family. I mean, I don't remember that much playing with. I mean, did you like, play with board playing, games? Yeah, board games, definitely okay, board that games. That's what I was going to say. Like, what kind of Anything. we played like outside a lot. We played board games a lot. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of. I have a younger sister, and our neighbors are like two of our best friends that are the same age as us. We played like mm-hmm. a lot of dress up house. Yeah, do you remember Pretty Pretty Princess? Do you ever play that? Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. I love that did, game. Did you ever play the mall one? I forget what it's called. It was about like four girls go to the mall and you have to like shop your, you have to swipe your credit card in the middle and it's about like moving through and getting a boyfriend. Okay. That one was Mall Dash or something like that. It was really fun. I didn't play too, I wasn't allowed to play too many like computer or video games. No, that one was a board game. Oh, it was? Okay. So I just assumed. Okay. But I did play a lot of like computer games too. Um, Yeah. We played a lot of video games. It was a lot of board games, though, like the cherry picker game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just brought, actually, I was at my parents' house a few days ago and just brought back to our house the, we had multiple Charlie Brown themed games, like Peanuts themed oh, games. Uh-huh. And I brought one back that's like um, Peanuts Valentine's Day game. And it's uh-huh. one of my favorite games ever. And I'm very excited to play that one again, so, too. There's a board game. Okay. What does that look like? What's on it? It's Valentine's Day theme. So just like love and romance and stuff. You have to collect puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And in order to get the puzzle pieces, you collect little chocolates mm-hmm. and like envelopes, mm-hmm. like love letters. Mm-hmm. And you like go across a board. Okay. Interesting. Well, yes. What about dolls besides Polly Pockets? Did you play with Barbies? Did you play with anything? Was that a part of your childhood? So I wasn't a huge Barbie fan. Neither was my sister. I had a dollhouse that like wasn't Barbie. It was like other dolls, I guess. My grandma had gotten me a Barbie doll. Like I have collectible Barbie dolls now from mm-hmm. my grandma every year for Christmas. I didn't play with them. Okay. And the only other dolls I played with were there was a set of Disney princess pop star dolls. So they turned okay. Cinderella, Ariel, and Rapunzel maybe into like pop mm-hmm. stars. And I played with those dolls. They sang also. It was great. Okay. Interesting. So you did play with some. But no Barbies. Others. Okay. But and whatever Barbies you do have, you collected we'll say yeah like i never opened the box they're like displayed in boxes to like probably sell as collectibles one day okay yeah we had barbies my brother would um like rip off their heads and shave their hair very like classic brother move (laughs) i would play with the barbies like so okay like make them kiss behind like our, okay. our couch in our playroom. You know, Ooh. I would like undress them. Did you feel embarrassed by that? Is that why you were hiding their kisses? I must have. It was a shame thing where I didn't want anybody <laughs> okay. to know. Yeah. I don't even know if my sister really played with them, but we had them. We had like a giant right. plain Barbie set thing that like Ooh. moved. That was really fun that I played with a lot. 
and then I felt like we had some like GI Joes for the boys. Like mm-hmm. we had, you know, we had certain okay. dolls for my sister, certain dolls for us. Mm-hmm. And that's my little segue because this week I want to talk to you a- about a doll that's not necessarily made for kids, but made for adults and more specifically for gay men. So this week, I'm going to talk to you about the gay Bob doll. Okay, I thought you were going to say the Trixie Mattel figurine. No, but Trixie (laughs) is right up there. (laughs) The sources I use this week are an article by Val Hatcher for the Natural History Museum of LA County called What About Gay Bob? There's an article that I don't want to read the title for by Ray Alexandra. There's an article by Michael Waters, the story behind Gay Bob. And then there's the February 3rd, 1979 issue of the newspaper Star News. And again, all of those titles and links and everything will be in the description of our episode. So you can go ahead and go check those out if you want to know the full titles. Mm -hmm. So in 1977, a 13-inch plastic doll by the name of Gay Bob makes his grand retail debut in mail-order catalogs. The doll is packaged in a yellow box made to look like a closet, and the box reads, quote, Come out of the closet with Gay Bob, the world's first gay doll for everyone, end quote. I love that. It has a PG rating on the bottom right, meaning parental guidance suggested. However, this doll seems more marketed towards an adult audience rather than genuinely for children. Mm -hmm. But as it reads, it's a toy for everyone. Mm -hmm. The front of the box is a closet door and inside is an illustrated wardrobe. And when gay Bob is taken out of the box, the toy is effectively coming out of the closet. (laughs) On the packaging inside the box, a message reads, quote, Hi, boys, girls, and grown-ups. I'm Gay Bob, the world's first gay doll. I bet you're wondering why I come packed in a closet. Coming out of the closet is an expression which means that you admit the truth about yourself and are no longer ashamed of what you are. It's not easy to be honest about what you are. In fact, it takes a great deal of courage. But remember, if Gay Bob has the courage to come out of his closet... So can you. Oh. And the doll itself is very Ken-esque in his mm-hmm. build. So he's really buff, really, you know, lean. He's wearing cuffed blue jeans, cowboy boots, a plaid shirt, a gold chain, and one singular blue earring. He also comes with a leather satchel. The doll boasts a short, feathered, blonde hairstyle and overall is very mask-looking, and apparently he's designed to look like a cross between Paul Newman and Robert Redford. So he's supposed to look like a man's man. Like, he's supposed to look like the ideal man. And unlike Barbie and Ken, unlike those dolls that I made kiss Mm -hmm. behind the couch in my playroom, Gay Bob is anatomically correct, meaning there is no plastic nub or bump. He also has a programmed voice recording that, when played, earnestly says, quote, Gay people are no different than straight people. If everyone came out of their closets, there wouldn't be so many angry, frustrated, frightened people, end quote. Wow. And this was in the 70s? 1977. Wow. So, you know, we're like a decade after Stonewall. We are... mm, a decade and some change after the Hays Code ends. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still obviously fighting for liberation and sodomy of laws course. are just ending in the 70s. But this is like a big, this yeah, is not something I, you would expect. Yeah, definitely. Like in terms of the language that's being used, in terms of just like the acceptance, like body, I, I think to this day, we have a lot of shame surrounding bodies. And so I just think all of it is so interesting to me. Well, one thing that I read that I didn't include in here was that the dolls had to be made in Hong Kong because there were no manufacturers in the United States that had like a mold or a part for a penis. And then they refused to make one. So the creator of the gay Bob doll had to get them made overseas and then imported into the United States because manufacturers refused to make that. It was like immoral to have that. Was the gay Bob doll circumcised? Do we know? Yeah, he is. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Gay like, Bob is like, cut. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Of course. <laughs> so the entire experience of the toy is incredibly laughable to those that are kind of in on the joke of it all. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is Gay Bob comes with a fashion catalog with the words, dress up Gay Bob for every occasion which Mm -hmm. is intended entirely as campy satire. And this catalog sells additional clothing pieces and accessories for exorbitant prices. Mm -hmm. So the catalog displays various outfits for Gay Bob, including the Gay Mountain Climber, a pornography director, Cleanliness is Next to Godliness, which offers a chic monochromed white terry wrap (laughs) for $25 and a diamond chip earring for $1,200. The Ride'em Cowboy (laughs) Outfit, the Gay Drill Sergeant, the parachute evening jumpsuit, up and coming Ivy Leaguer, the shy sensitive type, which is ironically a Harley biker outfit, <laughs> the gay suburbanite, the gay farmer, members of the American Gay Polo Club, and the gay quarterback. Oh my God. And so outfits and accessories range from $15 to a few thousand dollars, with oh most gosh. pieces being labeled in the high hundreds. And the creator right. of the gay Bob doll is like, I. We weren't expecting anybody to ever pay for accessories, but if someone pays like two hundred dollars right. for a leather jacket for their gay Bob doll, well, we'll make right. it. Go for it. Right. Send us sure, money. but like it, it wasn't a real like we weren't selling this on the shelves. No, and and that's kind of also solidified in the fact that on the catalog's cover, it quips a special note which reads, "Quote: All the doll clothing in this catalog is made by virgins in Europe. <laughs> Allow five to six years delivery." Okay. End quote. Yeah. So it's like a total joke. I mean, yes. Gay Bob is is real and he's there. When it starts, it's only mail order, so it's in queer magazines it's a catalog it's not like in macy's or jc penny or whatever but it's it's a real doll it's out there people are buying it i want one so the advertisements are even witty i won't read the full ad of of this example but one goes quote he sits he stands he gets into any position and since he's anatomically correct he can even play with himself without going blind <laughs> barbie and ken move over gay bob is here end oh quote so you can see even in the advertisement it is a little bit more or fully kind of geared towards a mature Adult. audience and it is funny it's very campy it's very yeah. Yeah, it's not your average doll. Reflective of what was going on, that the joke about masturbation is in there too. Because like, I don't know if it was the Kellogg's guy at this point, but just like people being like, "Yeah, if you masturbate, you'll go blind." blind. Like, like that 
it's so funny juxtaposed against that time. Right, right. No, they're breaking boundaries. They're kind of like breaking all of the rules and just being like, this is what gay Bob stands for. Like, he's not what you expect. Right. So gay Bob is sold for $19.50 or you can get two for $35 plus shipping and handling. So it is quite an expensive doll. But within the first two months of it being released, the first 2,000 dolls are sold to adult collectors. Mm. 10,000 more dolls are then produced. And in 1978, the doll is awarded the Dubious Achievement Award by Esquire magazine. Wow. So the doll is created by an advertising executive named Harvey Rosenberg. Harvey doesn't identify as gay, but he Mm -hmm. sinks $10,000 of his own money to create the toy. And this is in 1977, so that's a lot more in today's money. Right. His goal? To create a doll to liberate men from traditional sexual roles. I'm so interested by this. He states, quote, We had something to learn from the gay movement, just like we did from the black civil rights movement and the women's movement, and that is having the courage to stand up and say, I have a right to be what I am, end quote. Yeah. And Gay Bob came about after Harvey's personal life takes multiple harsh blows in quick succession, with his marriage failing and then his mother becoming gravely ill. So before he makes Gay Bob, he decides that whatever his next project is, it must be of great personal significance. Mm-hmm. And although Harvey Rosenberg's doll is incredibly humorous, Its intentions at the end of the day are genuinely to help normalize the existence of gay men. Mm -hmm. He pitches the doll to various department stores, and some show some interest, but it never lands, which is why Gay Bob is only sold in mail-order magazines to begin with. But by 1978, the year after Gay Bob is released, boutique stores in New York and San Francisco begin stocking the toy. In the February 3rd, 1979 edition of the Star News newspaper, a concerned citizen writes into the advice column, Ask Ann Landers, sister of last week's subject, Pauline Phillips, a.k.a. Dear Abby. And they write, quote, Dear Ann Landers, an Alabama reader wrote about a new doll for children, Gay Bob. She was appalled at the degree to which homosexuality had been accepted. Gay Bob, you quipped. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you better believe it because Gay Bob is available in some fairly respectable retail stores. Now they are appearing everywhere. I am enclosing an article. Anne replies, Thanks for the article. I received 112 at last count and they are still coming in. I hope your headache is gone by the time you read this. That crunching sound you hear is me eating my words. End quote. So, The arrival of Gay Bob couldn't have come at a more relevant time, though. Mm -hmm. The queer liberation movement is in high gear at this time, right? In 1977, Harvey Milk is elected in San Francisco, becoming the first openly gay man to be elected to public office in California, and then is assassinated in 1978. Mm -hmm. Singer and anti-gay rights activist Anita Bryant, who I've mentioned maybe once or twice on this podcast so far, founds Save Our Children Incorporated, which actively opposes the gay rights movement. They work to repeal any progressive or queer liberation laws using fear-mongering rhetoric to convince people that the queer community is targeting and recruiting children. Yeah, they also made an appearance in my story. I just chose not to include them. (laughs) Mm, Great. So they're everywhere being the worst. Yes. Yes. 
And these efforts by Anita Bryant gain widespread media attention and spark campaigns in multiple states across the U.S. And Gay Bob kind of gets caught in the crossfire. Gay Bob is viewed as a threat to family values. Edward Rowe, the executive director of Protect America's Children, an offshoot of Bryant's Save Our Children, is quoted in a 1978 Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article saying that Gay Bob is, quote, another evidence of the desperation the homosexual campaign has reached in its efforts to put homosexual lifestyle, which is a death style, across to the American people. I can only hope that the children who are given these Gay Bob dolls will not comprehend the meaning and intent of the campaign, end quote. To, okay, two things. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What is a mm-hmm. death style? What does that mean? A, a opposite of lifestyle? That's he's not saying, funny. That's not a good no. joke. He's saying basically that the homosexual lifestyle, no matter what, is going to lead to death and sin and hell. He's saying okay, that great. it's basically a death sentence by living a quote-unquote homosexual lifestyle. Okay, gross. I hate that. It is if you keep bullying people, but anyway... Mm-hmm. The other thing is similar to what we were reading from the books. Kids don't draw things unless they already know them. So they're mm-hmm. not going to infer something that they don't know or understand. They're not going to create no. something out of thin air because they saw a doll. Like, especially right. if it's a kid who has a penis, congrats, cool. Right, you see a doll that looks like you. Right, and like you're threatened by the idea of kids... Not who can't read because they wouldn't see all these quips. They would just see Mm -hmm. a doll. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're threatened by kids who can read, they definitely are old enough to understand their own gender identity. Right. So, like, what are we doing? It's not like Gay Bob is bricked up, right? He's he's not hard. <laughs> right, it's like a right. flaccid penis. It's like he's it's covered with like, clothing. He's right. not naked having an orgy. Like, it's just – it's a like, a it's naked body a is dog. not sexual, right? A naked body is right. not inherently sexual. So a, a child seeing a doll that is clothed, I undressed the Barbies looking for whatever. Right. I was yeah. – cl- I clearly was looking for something. Barbies have boobs, but they don't have nipples. So, like, cool, right. that's our distinction? Like, whatever. Right. Like, what? Like, I – but at my age, clearly I was looking to go see something. So right. if I was going to see something, clearly I knew that it was there and I was curious and <laughs> right. whatever. That's natural and whatever. I will right. not be ashamed about that. If that, if there's one thing, I won't yes. be embarrassed about that. Like, so, I've babysat enough kids to know they follow you everywhere, including yeah, the bathroom, and, like, yeah. they don't care. Like, no, whatever. No, they don't give a fuck. No. And I think one of the main points here, too, is that, remember, this is a doll that is geared towards a mature audience. It's being sold in magazines. It's not being sold mm-hmm. in a toy store. But mm-hmm. if a child gets a hold of it, there's nothing wrong with it. However, there's no documented evidence that this doll is being sold and given to children so anita bryant and all of her little fucking henchmen Mm -hmm. that are making a big deal about this doll going to children it's like but it's not it's not so you have nothing to be up in arms about but even if it was you still have nothing to be up in arms about just fucking cool it relax right you're making a problem where there isn't one right And so Gay Bob then becomes sort of a trophy and a sign of changing times for those fighting against the wretched witch known as Anita Bryant. And so it's Mm -hmm. almost like a cool, like funny thing to have a Gay Bob doll to be like, fuck you, Anita Bryant. Like, we're going to support this doll. 
Another outraged Ann Landers reader wrote to the column, fearful that the creator of the gay Bob doll would create even more quote-unquote disgusting dolls and lead to acceptance of other despicable lifestyles, and then the reader pitches the dolls Priscilla the prostitute and Danny the dope pusher. So it's very easy to see how readers and religious Mm -hmm. moralists equate being queer Mm -hmm. to drugs and like sex Sex work, work. which is whatever. Like, ugh, I'm so over it. Yeah, it's a whole fucking thing. And while Priscilla and Danny are never officially pitched, Harley (laughs) does intend to create a whole slew of characters to expand the universe and family of gay Bob, including Marty Macho, Executive Eddie, Straight Steve, Fashionable Fran, Liberated Libby, and Nervous Nelly. I love it. However, none of these dolls ever make it to production. And so while Gay Bob didn't become the next Barbie, it certainly had a good run and has become a hard-to-get collector's item. Mm -hmm. I want one incredibly bad, but I don't know if I'm ready to blow $300 for a Gay Bob doll. Yeah. Yeah. Gay Bob did, however, inspire various other queer dolls after its release in 1977, followed by Billy, Carlos, and Tyson, three separate Billy dolls, also marketed as the world's first anatomically correct gay dolls released in 1997, 20 years later, whose proceeds then went to benefiting the AIDS charity Lifebeat. And then there was the Earring Magic Ken, a Barbie doll who was not specifically marketed as a queer doll, but definitely mm-hmm. followed the queer conventions of the time with his frosted hair and singular earring look, causing quite the controversy. And mm-hmm. after being on the shelves for some time, Mattel discontinued the toy and it has since become another collector's item and people are like trying hard to get this like quote unquote <laughs> queer Ken. That's so funny. But As Val Hatcher puts it in her article for the Natural History Museum, quote, Dolls are aspirational and heroic. Ideals of beauty or bravery or strength. Moreover, whether we play with dolls as children or collect them as adults, culturally, a great deal is projected onto dolls, end quote. And nowadays, We see the attempt from some toy manufacturers to bridge the gap with the queer community, giving some, you know, American Girl dolls backstories with queer family members or creating toys based on queer people and characters themselves. This representation, just like in the rest of media, just like with children's books, is incredibly important for children and other people to have and to experience, all in attempts at making the idea of a quote-unquote gay doll not so radical. All in all, Gay Bob walked so that every queer or queer ally doll could run. (laughs) Yes, Gay Bob. I love that. Also, such like funny quips, even Mm -hmm. just like on the box. Like it was so well thought out. And I honestly thought it was going to be a little. Yes, I thought. You know, your description originally of the creator was going to be a little problematic because the doll is so like rooted in stereotype as the joke like it's it's satire but it it takes someone who's in on the joke then to make the joke in a way that's appropriate yeah and and i just think it's so great like it's so great yeah and and it 100 was out of respect harvey Mm -hmm. rosenberg the whole thing was to get a gay doll out there and i think at the time if the doll wasn't 
you know, cliches and stereotypes, I don't know if it would have had the same impact because it got a lot of attention. It was clearly a gay doll. There wasn't, you know, people being like, no, it's just a, it's just Ken with an earring or whatever. Like it Mm -hmm. was very clearly marketed as a specific thing. So I think it was, it needed to almost be over the top and campy to have such a significance. Which I love, like, that's so great. And that's what makes the best. Like, I think thinking back on the things I played with as a kid, like, they were gimmicky. And, like, that's how you get kids' right. attention. But adults were, were dumb, too. And, like, yeah, I, I just want, want gay Bob. I just want a fun, yeah, I just want a fun toy that's, like, funny. And even if it just sits on my shelf, like, the shelf behind me is all of, like, Eddie's just like kind of collectible things. Mm-hmm. I want, like I said, I want to put together miniatures and Polly Pockets. Like right. that's so fun right. for a kid, for like a kid or an adult to be able to have something that's like kitschy like that. Right, exactly. And I think even if the doll itself wasn't, you know, the most successful, the the main thing is that the marketing and the mm-hmm. packaging and everything was so thought out and so specific that it was able to make such a lasting impact that people nowadays are like give Mm -hmm. me a gay bob doll it's in it's in a museum i mean they want people want to see this and and just like truly on top of it being fun and cool and like yeah i want one like that would be so sick it's like its existence for the time and everything that it said like that's the piece that's groundbreaking like Mm -hmm. people greenlit the project people bought it and like Mm -hmm. demonstrated that they wanted and needed something like that and that it was a success and like that in and of itself is a cool triumph i think one thousand percent Thanks for tuning in to episode 22 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about queer-coded literature and toys. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes even being anatomically correct a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you listen. And if you'd like to see photos from this week's episode, make sure you check out our Instagram, at historicallyreally, where you can also find the updates for our upcoming giveaway. And while you're there, make sure to send us your personal stories, either through Instagram DM or email us at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.